0: Red Beard Ventures, we on the rise. Starting Red Beard Radio, we no surprise. The best thing you we're always on the go. Webber Frontier, we buzzing on a show.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Red Beer Radio. We are the team at Red Beer Ventures, and we are going to be your hosts. So our team really has talked about starting Red Beer Radio for the past year to talk about our thesis around investing, building our fund, and we wanted to bring on different guests and portfolio companies to talk about their views. And we're so excited to officially launch this podcast and have you all join us. And we really want to make this a very community- community-oriented events, so feel free to share your opinions and questions. I'll be looking at the chat, and we'll really just try to interact in real time. So before we dive into how Redbeard Ventures came to be, I want to throw it over to the team. So starting with Mitchell, if you could introduce yourself and include your background and something that excites you most about this space.
2: Hey, everybody. Uh, I've been with uh, Redbeard Ventures for uh, getting close to a year now. Uh, and before that, I've been working with smart contracts and little and token projects and some big layer one projects uh, in a product and a project role and an advisor role since Ethereum launched in 2015. Um, and enjoying uh, my time at Redbeard uh, super, super much. And I'd say that the thing I'm most excited about uh, in, in the Web3 space is just interesting new complex crypto primitives and uh you know nerdy math stuff like that
1: awesome and frankie i'll throw it over to you if you want to touch a little bit on who you are and your background as well
0: hey guys i'm frankie um i recently started as an associate here at redbeard ventures um i got my interest for crypto started in uh 2012 with bitcoin i was uh really early, really grateful to be early and really involved in the movement early. I stayed on the sidelines and started my career out as a Node.js developer, got into a bit of growth marketing and found my way to uh, pull up the proof of attendance protocol as a community specialist uh, housed on the product team. And uh, I got, I've always been entrepreneurial, um, had uh, small businesses and startups, and uh, really wanted to find a way to continue that love of entrepreneurship and supporting founders. And uh, I transitioned into venture and uh, I married that with my love of all things blockchain. One thing I'm really um, optimistic and obsessed for in this space is digital identity. I think it's going to change the way uh, people, non-natives, uh, normies, uh, non-crypto natives, really are going to interact with the space and how for the long term, how we're going to define um, what with the metaverse, what everything means in the long term.
1: Awesome. And then for those of you who don't know me, my name's Alana. I am a partner at Redbeard Ventures. Uh, prior to joining Drew over here at Redbeard, I worked in strategy consulting at KPMG and Deloitte. And then I switched to startup out in L.A. and just started investing in different syndicate deals. So invested in SpaceX, Rainbow Wallet, All Adams, and about 10 other ones. And then I met Drew Austin at NFT New York City when I was getting deep down the Web3 crypto rabbit hole and started sourcing deals for him. And then been working with him now for over a year and a half, which is absolutely crazy. It feels like 10 years. Uh, I'm really excited because right now we're actually partnering with Horizon Lab Ventures on a tokenomics accelerator. We're right now sourcing some of the best companies. I'm really just excited to dive in with them, help them build from the ground up and really just work with them. So Drew, the red beard himself, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself as well.
3: What's up everybody. And first of all, props to Alana in five minutes, five minutes she created a rap song using AI, which is like the right, right on. it's definitely, I don't know, we might tweak and iterate on the rap song specifically, but uh, I love that we used AI to get the intro going. Yeah, you know, we're front you know we invest in frontier technology and uh, this is the world we play in. so it's it's always fun to use the use the tech that that uh, that we're, we're deep that we're digging into and investing in. But um, for those that don't know me, I'm Drew Austin, uh, founded Redbeard Ventures. Yep, I'm the Redbeard. When we started it about when I started about three years ago, um, my actual the beard was like down to here, it was the middle of COVID and the pandemic, and I was like leaning into it pretty heavily. Um, but I'll you know, I'll give a little bit of the origin story so that everyone kind of can get caught up because I'm really excited about doing some content here now with uh with Redbeard because we have a you know, we have 4,000 uh LPs now as part of our Angelist syndicate, and for those that aren't familiar with Angelist and syndicates. You know this is a place that'll we'll, you know, hopefully answer those questions. and you know we'll talk through different topics around how to start angel investing or breaking into venture capital and getting access to really interesting uh, you know both blockchain but also non-blockchain deals. You know our, our syndicate is focused on everything from you know crypto to space to robotics, AI, um, new sports teams and leagues. Um, innovative brands. So, you know, we like to be at the cutting edge. We like to invest in innovation. We also like to invest in disruptive brands and technologies. So you'll see, you know, our whole goal here is to really kind of use this podcast as an opportunity to both educate ourselves even further um, and do that educational process with the rest of our community and with the, rest of re- with the rest of our ecosystem. So we're kind of all learning about these technologies and these these new innovations together, thus making more enabling us all to make more informed investment decisions. Uh, I'm a big believer in angel investing. Uh, I think it's a great way to, it's a great asset class to be able to diversify into. It's an incredible way to stay on top of the direction the world is heading. Um, And uh, yeah, that's what we want to use this podcast for is to, is to really start to help kind of bring everyone along on the journey as we, as we go and try to dig into certain topics. And, uh, and that's, uh, and that's what we're going to do. So. Each, I think each episode, what we're going to probably do is focus on a certain category or sector or area, and we're going to align that with the guest. So for example, this week... Um, our guest is none other the, is, is John Crane, who John, I love, uh, dearly. He's, a, a become a close buddy of mine and I'll, I'll get into, you know, John's background and everything, but, you know, John's the founder and CEO of super rare, the art marketplace, NFT art marketplace. So today what we want to really kind of dig into a little bit further is just the NF, the topic of NFTs and where we see, uh, where things are going as investments and where are the opportunities right now? Um, what's kind of interesting news happening in the space and, uh, and then we'll go talk to John about everything that he's seen in space from uh, from his perspective as a builder and creator and and really a pioneer in the, in, in in this uh, in this market. Um, so now, yeah, going back to your original question, Lon, on how we started, mm-hmm. how Redbeard started. So I was, you know, I've been on frontier technology businesses. I've been an operator in New York for 20 years. Um, so I, uh, what's you know, I've been. 10 years ago, I was working on Google Glass technologies, building uh, device management platforms for Google Glass applications. We were putting glasses on warehouse workers and UPS and farmers and Pasco, Washington, and it was, it was a really fascinating, uh, uh, you know, really, it was my first real true innovative technology company. And I got really excited about kind of new mediums, new platforms, new ways that like a new device or new technology can introduce new user experiences and behaviors and opportunities. Um, fast forward to that, the, for about six years, I worked on an AI enterprise software company called Wade and Wendy doing recruitment process automation. Uh, we sold that company about three years ago. And then as I was selling the company, you know, I've been investing in crypto since 2013. I remember my first first Bitcoin purchase. I actually, I had to drive to meet the, me me and my buddy drove. It was like, it kind of felt like we were, I, I think we literally met him at the same place we used to buy weed in high school because we met this guy. He like came out of the side of our street. I had to, he showed me a QR code. I scanned the QR code. I gave him cash and that was how I I bought my first Bitcoin in 2013. So that was like, it was as, it was as shady and it was as shady as it gets. And I can honestly say that like, you know, listen, I know we're early, but the user experience has improved. So I know I know we got a ways to go, but the user experience has improved. So um, you know, started buying crypto in 2013. Started getting I started looking into NFTs, the concept of NFTs in 2016. Um, I started you know I, I the idea of digital collectibles just made a ton of sense to me. I'm a big collector. You guys will as you guys get to know me and you get to know the group, you'll you know I'm sure you'll get to know things about us. And I'm a big collector of things. And so the idea of of collectibles that are on chain that can be in digital form um, but that can have validated scarcity like more effective certificates of authenticity if you will uh, just made total sense to me I remember they I think they were called colored coins back then I don't know Mitch you remember that term colored coins yeah yeah that was kind of like a proto NFT yep so we start, so and then I, I came across super rare and that was really the the to me the the pioneer in NFT art um, and was the leading NFT art marketplace, um, and that led that actually led to my first purchases of NFTs, and also led to me getting to know a lot of the art creators, the collectors, the people in the early days of the community, talking around 2018, 2019 now, and um, and then fast forward to when we sold when I sold Wade and Wendy, and started up an Angelus Syndicate. Uh, the first Angelist investment that Redbeard Ventures ever made um, was in Superair, in Superair Seed Round. So that was really cool. And it, it, it's so I've had a lot of um, kind of like interesting, uh, you know, a lot of interesting uh, kind of like history with John and with Superair now in terms of its relationship to RBV. Um, so yeah, that we got the, the Angelist Syndicate. I thought we would just. I, th- I really thought it would just be like me and friends writing some, you know, small checks. I thought it would be a way for me to get some venture capital experience. You know, after operating pretty much for the last 20 years, I knew I really wanted to shift into. Um, I really wanted to shift into venture. I wanted to be more of an investor. I wanted to diversify my time. I wanted to. I had so many interests and so many things that I was excited about. And you know, my ADD, it's, it really fits well for someone that could, you know, kind of just change, work on this, work on that, dig into this, dig into that. Um, so venture really felt like something I wanted to give, I wanted to, to get into. Um, and the Angelus syndicate was a great way for me to start. I'm a builder. Like I didn't want to wait. I've never, I've literally never applied to a job in my life since I was 19 years old. I've been building companies. So I really didn't, you know, for me, it wasn't about, you know, okay, where do I go to get into venture? It was just like, all right, how do I start? And I started, so we, cr- we created this Angelus syndicate it's called up John. I'm like, John, I want to invest. And that was how we got started. Um, and then fast forward now, you know, two and a half, three years later of the syndicate. Um, yeah, I think we'll actually be, it's almost three years now. Um, we're now up to almost 4,000 LPs. Um, I think we're about a little over 3,800 in the syndicate An LP for those who are new to this whole space is a limited partner. Those are people that are investors. Um, and Alana, I don't know if there's somewhere where you guys, or Frankie, if there's a way you guys can post or share the link to the syndicate, um, -hmm. because great, great. So. You know, I, I'll tell you quickly about the, the Angelus Syndicate. Um, Angelus Syndicates are a fantastic way to get exposure to venture and to start to see deal flow and, you know, start to invest and start to, to to put some money to work in, you know, this into new technology companies and new startup businesses. You know, most of most of my life, the only access that I had as an investor to tech companies was in stocks. You know, so I'm investing in Apple and Amazon and Facebook. And these are, you know, publicly traded companies with multi-billion dollar Multi-billion-dollar market cap, so like, you know, the upside potential for me at that point is obviously much lower. Um, and then when I came when when I came across AngelList, it, it got me to be able to start to look at deal flow and start to also be able to like build to refine my own um, kind of eye, start to get a feel for what kind of opportunities I liked, what were the things that that I gravitated to, what were the triggers for me that really interested me. And um, so that's yeah, so that was really the the beginning of it. You sign up, for, you know, signing up for the syndicate, it's free to join. Um, so it's a great way just to get exposure. And then the check sizes, you could invest as little as $1,000 into an investment and as much as you want beyond that. Um, so that's been a really great way for us to kind of, and what it, what it did for me in the beginning was really prove that we can get our access to great deal flow. Um, you know, for the for the first two years, I remember, of the first year and a half of the syndicate, you know, it's it's a grind out there, but like you know, you really have to build it from nothing. You know, you're starting with zero LPs and zero deal flow. Um, but I felt that if I can get out there and prove to, to build a brand around Redbeard, to 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 become to become a value add to the to the startup ecosystem, um, and to start to network and connect, etc. Um, we could start to, we can start to, uh, you know, become consistent players in the investment ecosystem, invest in space.
1: Yeah. And-, and Drew, I just want to ask you, like, I think you were able to grow the syndicate so quickly. Like if you think about where you were three years ago from zero LPs finding this deal to then now growing it to 3,700, almost 4,000 LPs, it's like Are there, is there any advice you have? Is there any like rule book or something that you follow to be able to grow it so much and really find these accredited investors who are interested?
3: Sure. Yeah. And I'd say there's a few things, you know, first it was, you know, it was funny. Uh, One, I, I have, I, there was a, I got I got close with a few of the you know the the really the the top tier syndicate leads early on just to learn from them and I had a few great mentors that would you know help educate me on getting started and um, and and share deal flow and advice so that, and one of the things I remember specifically I was like so how do you grow this how do you grow a syndicate and he's like this is gonna sound cliche but it's but you know good deal flow and I was like and you know at first I was like oh obviously duh of course but but really. But the reality is it's the, it really was the truth because what I what you learn quickly about Good Deal Flow is that people want to then share that deal with their friends. They want to bring in other people. They tell their friends, oh, I just got access to this. Oh, how did you do that? Well, I joined this syndicate. So, you know, to get real virality, um, you know, to, mean, to to really start to grow and to build a reputation, Uh, And something that people are going to rave about and really tell their friends to join, I think, you know, number one, first and foremost, is getting quality deals. And then number two is to is to be a collaborator. Um, You know, almost all of the early deals that I did, I would give up half my carry to to other syndicates that were willing to to introduce my syndicate and my deals to their audience in exchange for, you know, obviously carry that we can then cross promote deals and work together and, and curate deals together, et cetera. So, um, I did a lot of collaborations with other syndicates. And now I'm at the point where, you know, with, with red Beard syndicate, it's a big enough syndicate that now we're able to be able to work with other syndicates to help amplify their deals. So we've been, we are very collaborative. Um, we're very pro, you know, working together and growing the pie and growing the Ecosystem um, uh, of these syndicates. So uh, I'd say that's really kind of been one of the couple of the major things.
1: Yeah. And how was it like in the early days? Like you were, when you started doing Super Rare, it was the peak of the Web3 bull run. What was it like when you were syndicating out these LPs
3: well, first of all, it was it was a grind because you know now when we send a deal, it goes to four thousand people or thirty seven hundred people, and so we you know we're consistently we're consistently able to 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 build enough of uh to build enough interest and get enough interest to be able to invest in deals. Um, so in the very beginning, it was like texting all my friends emailing friends, getting friends and family involved, talking to people that I know might be interested in a specific deal. It was a very, it was very hand-to-hand combat. It was very personal touch. And as it grew, it became more of, how do you build the machine? How do you build, because the, you know, the syndicate is really a vehicle for us to be able to see and to get access to lots of different deals in, with different types of investment profiles. Um, than a fund, for example. And, you know, right now, obviously, for those that don't know, you know, we have, we actually, under the Red Beard ecosystem, you know, we have a fund, uh, RBV Fund 1, which is a $26 million fund. It's purely focused on early stage blockchain businesses. And then we have our syndicate. And our syndicate now has, as i was saying i think we've done over 200 deals in about three years we've deployed 60 million plus in capital we have almost 4,000 lps and um and that's ranges across sectors so you know we, like i said robotics space obviously blockchain and web3 but now it's even been more of like frontier technology innovative brands disruptive business ideas uh that we can then uh, deploy capital into and invest invest in so um, and we've built up an amazing network of venture partners as well, which has been really helpful also in these other categories. Obviously, from a, from a specific area of expertise, I'd say blockchain and Web3 um, is our, you know, number one area of expertise. I'd say also for me having six years in the AI space as well, you know, I've had a, and, you know, in wearable technology, I have some in IoT. My background is a little bit more broad, but, um, you know, you know, blockchain is where we really spend most of our time these days. And um, but having uh network and relationships founders or investors or researchers or analysts that work across climate and space and biotech and uh, robotics and ai those are great channels for us to bring deal flow to bring deal flow to our LP base, as well as give up the opportunities to, you know, for example, like a journalist or you know a, a researcher who really maybe doesn't have a, a much investment experience but sees a ton of great deal flow. We give them this vehicle with with Red Beard Ventures and the, and the and the LP base that we have, as a place where we can work together to curate great quality deals. Um, and bring them to our, to our investor community to make decisions on if they want to invest. So um, yeah, so I mean, those are, those are some of the things that, that have been going on.
1: Yeah, and I think like people obviously know us as a Web3 crypto fund. We're in a bear market. Not too many people are as excited about the space as they were a year and a half, two years ago. So mm-hmm. how do you see your view of navigating that space and really still saying bullish even in this time?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. Probably something I'll also talk about with John as well. But um, listen, the, it's, it's, it's also kind of funny. It's interesting because, you know, and I, and I say this in a bull market where was where we started as investors and, 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 you know, 2021 was when we really kind of got going as an investor, you know, valuations were through the roof, you know, and there, it was very hard to compete and actually push back on valuations because in five seconds, other investors were coming over the top. So every deal was Forex oversubscribed. Every deal had insane valuations. It was a wild, it was a wild west of investment time, of an investment period. Um, so you know, for myself, I, you know, had to really kind of like look at that phase for what it was, take a step back and kind of like you know, really think it through. But, you know, there was a couple of things. One, it's funny because it's almost counterintuitive when the when there's a bull run and valuations were super high. People are throwing angels, are investing as much as they, the most they've ever invested. And then you think about now, where like it's not an exciting time. It's not a, it's not a very, um, it's a very challenging time in the market, which means valuations have come down. And there's not a ton of momentum. Now, now is a time where people aren't investing as much. But the reality is, like the way I look at it as an in, as a uh, as an investor, and this is why it's so important for us to have a fund because in, in, as as a syndicate. We go as our LP base goes. We can bring the best deals in the world, but if LPs don't want to invest, then we're stuck. We can't invest as much into the companies we want to invest in. Um, we can only sh- go go so far as a fund that manages capital. We can deploy into the businesses um, that we so choose that we think that have um, that 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 we think that have the potential to be able to to break through and, and kind of push the space forward. Um, but like, it, it's just funny that you know. Listen, there are different, there are also liquidity challenges in a a tight market versus liquidity. Everyone's very frothy in a a bullish market. So I get it. But as a VC, I find it to be a massive opportunity to be investing in a time where the market is turned. I'm like, I'm very thankful for our fund to be a a relatively new fund with fresh capital to deploy as the market turned, because it really gave us an opportunity to really rethink and think through, you know, what areas do we want to invest in? How do we wanna prioritize valuations? How do we wanna think about ownership stakes? Because I'll tell you in the 2021 phase, it really, it was it was more about proving that we can get access over the right amount of ownership. And I think that is now over this period has started to really migrate and maybe it's just my experience as an investor has grown i mean i've been an investor for two to three years now i've you know i've been an operator for 20 so um you know as my own experience has as as kind of evolved um you know and, and matured a bit I, i've learned those things but you know it's it's definitely an interesting it's 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 a really interesting time to be an active investor in, in the blockchain space and um and in, in web3 and in frontier technology in general like i know i don't invest in companies worrying about how they're going to do this month or the next quarter. I'm, you know, we're investing in companies that we believe will be mature businesses in three, four, five, seven years. So, you know, I, I, don't, I, I try not to think too much about where the market is today. I try to think about, you know, how do these companies survive today and make sure they have the right economics, the right strategy, but also what is the world? what is the world going to look like in three to five years and how will they impact that? Um, Is kind mm-hmm. of the uh, of lens that I'm looking through these businesses at.
1: Yeah, we're having one of our most active quarters to date. So we're definitely still staying active given the market. Um, before sure. we bring on John, because I know he's been waiting a little bit, I want to touch on uh the nft marketplace and i know a lot of news has been coming out about royalties specifically with OpenSea. so if anybody has kind of any thoughts around that maybe mitchell if you want to give your thoughts just throw it over to you about how you're feeling with this news and what do you think's to come
2: sure i mean very similar to what drew was saying is you know it, it, essentially as there's the as there's these, these big market cycles uh we, we always forget that you know The time to buy is when things are low and when no one wants to buy, you know, when we're not competing with a bunch of people to uh, to keep upping and upping and upping these bids or in terms of uh, of venture uh, going higher and higher and higher with uh, with valuations. But it's 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 a cyclical market. And for NFTs, this is kind of the first big one, really. But if we remember, I mean, God, how long has it been since the first Bitcoin crash? It crashed, uh, uh, what, twenty-five dollars from hundred, uh, or Mount Gox? It's been nearly ten years since Mount Gox, and most a lot of people entering the space these days don't even know what it is. I think similarly with it, with the things that we're seeing now, trading volume down, uh, floor prices down. In ten years, we'll probably forget. We'll probably forget they were ever this low. We'll probably look at the peaks. From, the, from this last bull run as, oh my God, if only I bought in then, you know? And so n- even so now is, is I, I think it's the, it's, it's kind of what Drew was saying. It's the time to accumulate. It's the time for smart money to buy in.
1: Mm-hmm. And how do you think like OpenSea taking out the royalties to creators is going to change the space? Because I think when creators are first getting in, one of the biggest kind of things that the NFT and blockchain was saying, it's like, okay, well, the money goes back to the creators in the beginning, even if the resale and secondaries, always a portion of that goes back to the creators. So how do you feel with OpenSea saying, hey, actually, now that's optional. Now we're taking that away.
2: Uh, It's going to I feel it's going to take the wind out of a lot of sales in uh, uh, in regards to like smaller projects because they rely on that secondary volume. They, they rely on hoping that these assets change hands frequently. Uh, at the, I think that maybe we're going to see a lot of the, uh, a lot of the big gainers in the future to have been ones that don't have a lot of volume that maybe just get sold a couple times a week, mimicking really closer to the traditional art markets. You know, those uh, a Basquiat painting for $25 million doesn't, doesn't change hands every couple days. It's sold every decade or so,
0: but when it is, it's you know many,
2: many multiple times.
0: Mm-hmm. I do feel like that was a stab in the back to creators that built the platform. If you create a creator-centric platform that's built on trust and royalties, and then you take out the main value add for the people that built up your platform, I think what we're going to see platforms like Blur and Looks Rare take a bigger market share as they try to appeal to creators, if there's no creators, um, there's no platform. Mm. A good point.
1: I've been an investor holding looks in forever, so I will gladly push looks on anybody.
3: <laughs> I, I, I guess I'll, I'll say this: like I think I'm I'm also in in Frankie's camp in that regard. And you know, we're about to we're about to bring in the OG expert, so I'm, I'm excited to dig into it with John. But you know, the I I think that. It is a it, it was really a disservice to the to the entire market to get rid of royalties i think some of the beautiful innovations that could have happened in the space were because we're going to be because of the capability of royalties i think one example i read recently was like you know even just things like you know textbooks for example you think about textbooks like people buy a textbook and then they resell them the original publisher has to sell the first edition for so much money um, because of the fact that they, they're not going to get any of the future, the, the resale opportunities. But like if the if the first consumer can spend a lot less money on the item, because the publisher is going to be able to earn royalties throughout, um, you know, it actually makes it a better experience for everybody. Um, the publisher gets their gets gets uh, gets their um, you know kind of not necessarily recurring but recurring style revenue. You have you know consumers that are able to buy things at a more affordable rates. So you know I thought I think there are a lot of um, I, I hate to see that the uh, I think artists deserve royalties. I also think that like you know it is an open marketplace. It you know we are going to gravitate towards um, you know kind of it's hard to put these decisions. Some people are like, well, you can always pay royalties. It's it's hard to do. That's a hard thing to put in the decisions for people. You know, mm-hmm. if an individual saying, Hey, I don't, why am I going to be the one to spend more while everybody else isn't like, it, you know, it's, it's a very challenging thing, but if it was just implemented that way, I think no one, obviously people don't have as much of a challenge around it. Like, you know, think about what we do, what we spend on gas, like the insane gas fees on things. Like we've come to accept that gas fees, as, far as with Ethereum are just normal. I at mean, least but-
1: it's not like what it was. I was paying oh. like $200 at one point in like the peak bull oh, run.
3: It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So um, but yeah I mean it's, it's a perfect transition. Let's let's uh let's let's bring up John. Woo! Let's get, let's get him to weigh in here. John, Hello what's up? Buddy? Welcome. How yeah, you doing? Thanks buddy?
4: for having me. Doing great.
3: You're the you're the, you're officially the first guest ever of Redbeard Radio. It's quite an honor. Appreciate it. Let's let go. Buddy, to so, so catch us up, man, how's everything going? Uh, maybe like first introduce yourself a little bit and then uh, let's let, let's jump in.
4: Sure. Um yeah, thanks again for having me. Hey everyone. Uh my name is John Crane. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Super Labs. I've been working in crypto for a little while. You know, kind of fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, got super excited about Ethereum, and then um as soon as I saw the early development around the NFT standard, I was kind of full bore uh, NFTs and yeah, you know, Super really honestly was like a prototype that really turned into a product, so we launched on the mainnet April of 2018, um, you know, really focused on your know, creator and artist tooling, you like, I had always felt like there was this interesting problem with most creator platforms, like if you think about like YouTube or Instagram, the uh, platform sort of has different incentives than the creators do. And it's like, you know, Instagram and Mark want to serve as many ads as possible. And they want to make the service just good enough where you'll keep using it, but they don't care if they're just shoving as many ads into the feed. And uh-huh. so I really felt like NFTs had the <coughs> opportunity to kind of change that paradigm. And you might be able to build creator platforms that you know really had a marketplace at the core instead of an advertising-based uh, business model. And so we launched Super Rare. and you know over the past five years we've done just over three hundred million dollars in. Uh, NFT sales, um, Super is a marketplace that's focused exclusively on uh, art. So it's you know, really focused on art as a vertical. And um, yeah, you know, we, you guys were talking about royalties. We're uh, a pioneer with royalties, and uh, you know, they'll they'll be there till you know
3: for all that's, forever. Well, real quick, I mean, you yeah. two questions. First, what year did you start working on Super?
4: So technically, I started working on it in 2017, like the you know winter 2017, uh, but we launched April 2018.
3: Okay, got it. And then seeing okay, so first of all, you were you know obviously a pioneer and one of the first people ever, if not the first, on the NFT art side of things to introduce uh, royalties. Now, like a, did you see coming what has transpired with Blur and OpenSea, etc.? And then, and then B, like, how do you feel about all of this? Like it's cause it, it you know, it affects, you know, this is directly, uh, it has a direct impact on you I and mean, this is definitely you're in the world here. So, you know, everyone talks about blur and OpenSea and their battle around this stuff, but you know, what is, what is your take on it all?
4: Yeah. You know, look, I think, you know, if you think about NFTs as like a broad, uh, class, you know, like really there's like kind of specific asset classes within it. So, you know, it's like, I think people are going to trade domain names. In a much different way than they trade fine arts it's like you know does do ens names need royalties you know probably not that's quite different than uh, you know creators you know putting their heart and soul into something and i think with super rare again you know lots of our volume happens within the ecosystem i think mm-hmm. if you think about pfp speculation the connection that a collector has is quite different than you know in the world of super Rare. we're like a lot of people actually know each other, right? Like reputation is a really big part of the ecosystem in general. And so, you know, for like, we're not really fighting, you know, like, I feel like they're kind of fighting each other and we're almost over here doing something, you know, like pretty different. And so I think you were talking about deal flow earlier. Right. And I think people, you know, even with like, you know, pseudo anonymous addresses, you can see who's paying royalties on chain and who's not. And so I think ultimately it's like, if you want to collect from the best artists, they'll be able to, you know, kind of like pick and choose who has do, access.
3: Yeah. Do you think that it should be on the consumer? Like, do you think like, like as a consumer, do you, or no, not not, not as, do you think the consumer should be responsible for the decision to pay royalties or not? Or should it be, on the artist in terms of setting that expectation or the platform, like who's supposed to be responsible for this decision?
4: Yeah. I mean, I, so I think it's kind of all three, right. It's like the, everyone needs to come to social consensus. And I think within art, there's a lot more consensus than, you know, if you think about the customers, the people who use super rare and the people who use blur, certainly there's some overlap but like they're buying and selling different things in different places and if you, you know you guys were talking about baski earlier the whole time for a one of one is a lot longer than you know board apes for example um and so yeah look i you, you can't really enforce it into the nft itself this is why we all you know like our approach has been we'll put it in the marketplace we don't want to mess with the nft standard you know we want uh you know kind of so- these are sovereign assets people should be able to take them where they want but i think if you're going to be just because you can do that is different than like oh i'm participating and i'm like you know a member of this community like if you're the person who always shows up to the party and doesn't bring every- anything you know people are going to notice
1: it's interesting, though, because I feel like it's kind of like tipping, right? Except like a lot of people are anonymous with their addresses. So it's not like you have that backlash of, oh, people might know who I am and I'm not giving back royalties. It's like most people are anonymous, so they won't know who they are. So it's kind of like this payment that people don't necessarily see as necessary.
4: Yeah, no, it, I mean, it is really interesting, right? It, it's it feel it's totally not necessary. But I do think the social consensus make you know, like, even if you're anonymous, your address is still building out a reputation, right? If you think about, like, the one thing we were talking about just literally yesterday, it was like, how can we make paying royalties more fun? And it's like, you could have a leaderboard of who's paid the most royalties, right? It's like, it doesn't have to just be about, like, what's your return been on this? It's like, who's giving the most back to artists, right? I think
3: That's actually, you know, it reminds me when I go into when I walk into like the Y in Westport and there's like all the donors, that list Mm -hmm. of donors, do you know what I mean? They're like all on the wall. Yeah, There's something to be said for each artist, you know, kind of having their list of donors, which are their collectors who have paid the most royalties um, kind of like on their profile, which is like, you know, it's interesting. That's an interesting thing. That's definitely an interesting way to look at it. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I guess I, when I think about this, it's like, you, you know, someone asked me, like, why, when, why is this an op? Why is this a choice we have to make to begin with? Aren't we here using smart contracts? Like, shouldn't royalties be built into the smart contract and enforced at the contract level? Can you explain to people like what, how this, how, like, can you get to a little bit, tell us a little bit more about the technical components of this?
4: Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good question. And you'll actually the ah. super Rare version one tokens, um, do enforce them at a much greater level than version two. So I think there's like, you know, 3, 000, you know, two hundred and fifty nine version one tokens or something. And those are like the marketplace is kind of like built into the smart contract there. And we launched these before the NFT standard was actually finalized. Um, but there's this trade off because one of the things that's, you know, beautiful and why NFTs are so interesting is they're very simple. Right. It's a very simple data format, and that's what enables them to work in every wallet out of the box. You know, it's like every exchange, every wallet, right? Like integrating is incredibly easy. And the moment you start adding, you know, if statements into the logic of these things, it gets pretty hairy, pretty fast. And you kind of start to destroy some of the composability that like makes web three interesting, right? Like a lot of this is interesting because you have these little Lego pieces that you're like you know what the interface is going to look like so you can connect this thing to that api and it's pretty you know pretty trivial to do and so as you start to do things like say you can trade this nft but like here's a blacklist of addresses right it's like where does that logic live is that logic going to live you know in the nft smart contract like that's not part of the standard and you're kind of starting to break this composability so it's a trade-off between you know, being more feature rich, but they're almost like proprietary features because they're not actually part of the standard. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a it's a balancing act. Cool. Um, but for us, you know, like the reason we kind of took the approach that we did and you know, like the NFTs are all, you know, totally compliant and standard. Like, I do think there's something to be said for, you know, like these are kind of sovereign bearer assets. I do think it should be, you know, it's like, if you want to, like, another reason is like transfers, right? What's the difference between transferring to a smart contract that's going to trade something versus like transferring to a new wallet I made? It's really hard to differentiate these things, oh, and so yeah. um, that's kind of you know how we got to the technical solution that we came to.
3: Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, so market. Let's talk quickly about market. Um,
4: yeah, it's bad out
3: there. It is bad. It is yeah. bad. Out
1: there. To say is, the least. It's yeah.
3: Just, it's rough out there. I see it in my group chats are quieter. My, yeah. you know, my, the DAOs are quieter. Uh, you know, the, it's very, it's very easy to be the, the guy on Twitter these days saying everything's going to zero, everything's failing. And, you know, they're going to be right more than they're going to be wrong right now. Sure. Like, what are, what are your thoughts on where we are in the market what are your thoughts on what's next? Uh, I mean, yeah. like where, where, where do you think we are right now in this, in this kind of space? And then what do you think is the next big thing that happens in any direction?
4: Yeah, well, I think it feels like we're close to the bottom, if not at the bottom. You know, like, I think we're starting to feel like real capitulation. You know, last year it was like, ah, everyone's capitulating, but, at, you know, like people weren't like, truly depressed where i think now you know there are people (laughs) who are truly sad Uh, so that like you know that like really feels like a bottom um and what what
3: does it mean to be the bottom though that's that's also another i think a lot of people say that and i think we just need to like clarify like like what is what makes it the bottom what that's true
4: yeah great point i think as far as like bottom of the market so i'm kind of talking about volumes like sure yeah they've gone down a lot it's like how much lower can you go before there's there's no volumes right like i don't think we're going to zero here um so it feels like you know a lot of people are stressed right people's portfolios are down um Mm -hmm. most nfts are in fact luxury goods so it makes sense that people that's like one of the first places you pull back um and so that's one part so i think with the market you know like we are seeing kind of like uh it feels about like a bottom. Who knows if I'll be correct? But um, on the creator interest side, and also like for us, you know, we're you know adjacent to uh, you know kind of like the fine art market. Um, there's actually more interest now than there has been before. And kind of like what I mean by that is like if you look back this year, there are some pretty impressive sort of strides taken around institutional adoption of art. And I think if you think about this maybe like Bitcoin as an analogy where like, you know, in the first hype cycle, it was like, exciting news, Bank of America wrote an article and it mentioned Bitcoin, like crazy. And then like a few, you know, four hype cycles forward, now BlackRock's, you know, filing their ETF. Um, So we've started, so this year, you know, we saw a number of really impressive institutions, the Pompidou, uh, you know, the LACMA, the Museum of Contemporary Art in LA, uh, accept NFTs, a number of which were, you know, super minted NFTs into their permanent collections. And as far as the art world goes, that's kind of like a giant stamp of approval. And so I think, you know, this cycle is, you know, similar to other cycles where people are still here. They're, you know, like there's a lot of truth in the art that's being created, becoming part of art history. And so we're, you know, we're kind of seeing these signals Mm -hmm. and I think it is the more things like that that happen just the more we'll see kind of like NFTs become part of uh, you know this next wave of art
1: collecting. What are the main types of art that you're still seeing being bought on the platform today?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, photography and glitch art I'd say are just as popular as ever. There's been a resurgence in AI art, which is, you know, probably is no surprise to you guys. It's kind of interesting you know, the first piece of art ever minted on SuperRare was, uh, you know, kind of like AI-assisted, right? It was uh, Robbie Barat. It was a, a GAN network that he had created. Um,
3: know, and, I'm picturing the piece right now. Yeah,
4: exactly. And so immediately after that, there was a ton of, you know, kind of like copy-paste, similar pieces of art produced. And it was like, uh, like people are over it. It kind of like lost favor. And now we're seeing like, Another huge resurgence, um, which I think is really interesting, right? People are experimenting in AI with ways they didn't before. Um, And yeah, so I'd say photography, glitch art, and then, you know, I think generative too has, you know, kind of stayed, you know, relatively popular throughout the uh, bear market so far.
3: Mm-hmm. What, what do you think the the market needs? Like, what do you, like if you as an investor? Let's you put an investor hat on for a quick second, because most of our audience here are gonna be people that are you know part of the Redbeard investment ecosystem. What what do you think like this space? You know whether you know in NFTs around NFTs infrastructure platforms marketplaces IP. Like, what are the areas with around the NFT market that you find? to be interesting from an investment perspective? And like, where do you think more innovation has the biggest opportunity right now?
4: Yeah, so let's see. So, I mean, one of the things the market needs and like, yeah, I don't actually know if there's gonna be like a lot of money to be made here. I still think the display, the display space yeah. is pretty horrible. You know, like- but Why there's... is that
3: though? It's so bad.
4: You know, there's some decent solutions out there. Like, you know, I just bought some new uh, some new frames. You know, I've got white walls behind me. I s- soon I'll yeah. have two cool digital displays up. Um,
3: and I, I have think same that's a Samsung frame by the way, and I it like dis- they display terrible my NFTs. You just don't so
4: I, yeah, I bought a WIM, which uh, you know, is kind of like a smaller display company. And mm-hmm. I'm super they're like they're super nice. They're probably some of my favorite ones that are on the market right now. Sure. But just like what's great about NFTs is you know, it works in every wallet. You know, like I said, you know, it's a simple piece of technology and it kind of just works. Like the display stuff, there's always set up and there's like just enough friction where it feels like you can't just like buy it and like throw it up and like immediately, which is kind of like where we, I you know want us to be. So that's just an area where like that really helps this feel tactile and help tell this story to folks who are kind of like sitting there, you know, why would I buy this thing? I could right-click, save as. And I think that's just kind of like a missing piece of the puzzle um, Mm -hmm. to re-engage, you know, or to like engage some of these folks who are skeptical and kind of on the fence. Um, The other thing I think the space needs, and, you know, this is maybe a good segue for, uh, you know, a shill of some of the newer stuff that we've been working on, you know, like, part of the explosion in nfts was like it was something new and fun to do and like Mm -hmm. you can only speculate on jpegs for so long before it's like okay the game is kind of old and stale now like you know um you know what's next and you know we've spent a lot of time thinking about like okay what's the future of this look like you know we have there's there's millions of nfts what happens when there's trillions of nfts there's going to be so many of these things um, and how can how can we help people find, you know, what they're interested in, right? It's like, how can you find the signal and the noise? And so, uh, actually, just yesterday, we launched, you know, what we're calling the Rare Protocol, uh, you know, an open curation protocol for NFTs.
3: I was just about to hit that, so let's dig in there, go.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, what we're super excited about is this really is, uh, we think <coughs> of it as kind of like a cross-platform discovery tool, right? There's, you know people using all sorts of different platforms. There's new marketplaces every day. And, but the supply is still relatively fragmented. So it's like you log into a new platform, it's like you're creating a new profile, you're going and following different addresses. And it's still sort of the, you know, it's like the data is siloed, right? The NFTs are cross-platform, but none of the other social connections are actually cross-platform. And so with the Rare Protocol, uh, using the rare token, you basically lock up tokens on addresses that you like. So these could be artists, these could be collectors, they could be curators, uh, any address really. And you know, we we built in some incentive where the way it works is basically you can send arbitrary amounts of funds to the like your followers, basically. So it's sort of like incentivized fan clubs. And what we're seeing is that people are you know you can actually make a name for yourself as a tastemaker um and also get compensated for that and so like ultimately what i think in- is interesting here is that like this is a discovery protocol that really is cross platform it's not siloed to you know people who are on super rare or not on super rare
3: oh really I, mean, I didn't know that that's interesting
4: yeah so it works cross platform and right it's also something fun and new it's like you know Will they, like will this work? you know like I think it's super fun and interesting. I think it'll work. It's still an experiment. We don't know. we need people to start using it. It's been yep. 24 hours. We've got about 200 pools created with about seven million rare locked up.
3: Can you talk about some of the like who were the? can you run through some of the top pools and who they are just so we get an idea of like what this all how this works?
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I mean you, you guys probably won't be super surprised. I think Xcopy is the uh, the highest stake artist. Closely is followed he- by Botto, you know another really interesting uh, AI artist. Uh, Sam Spratt is the third person with the most stake, and then uh, the fourth is actually a curator uh, artifact. So he he runs a super rare wow. space. And where's I Fuo? Like,
3: I was gonna I was going to back FUO.
4: Let's see. Fio might not have a pool yet. You might want to go be the first FIBO staker.
3: I'm going to do that. <laughs>
0: and you guys are doing a special Sam Spratt release, right? Tomorrow around 12 o'clock.
4: Yeah, as part of the rare pass. Yep, exactly. So super Can you tell excited. People
3: quickly, tell people about the rare pass quickly? Because I think it's really awesome.
4: Yeah. Again, you know, like, you know, we're we're all about experimentation. You're trying to like push the technology forward. And so, you know, last year, you know, like lots of people minted different types of passes, and we were like, what is the most interesting? kind of like super rare pass that we can do and so we minted uh we created 250 of these super rare, rare passes and basically you were guaranteed a monthly airdrop of art from a roster of artists and we were kind of like what is it like and we tried to pick like the coolest artists we could we were like what's the best coachella poster of like artists and crypto art and so um you know the team came together, the community came together. It's a super impressive uh, group of artists. And yeah, every month a piece of art got airdropped to anyone who's holding the pass. So if you sold it on the secondary market, whoever was happened to be holding it the next time the airdrop happened is the one who's gonna get that uh, piece of art. And it's gone super well, you know, for me, there are a bunch of artists who I really, you know, admired, but hadn't, you know, had the time to go specifically buy a one-on-one because often, it, you know, things are moving yeah. fast off the market. And so, um, yeah, it's, I've got a collection of, you know, 10 pieces of art that I wouldn't have had, uh, had I not had it. Yeah.
3: That's it's, it's amazing. I, and I, I still look, I look back. So like I have, you know, it's, it's so fun looking back to like four years, five years ago, a fear like, it's like four or five years now of art. Yeah. And, I, and even looking back to the prices and the the price of ETH, the price of the NFT, like there's a, there's just such a story in this Absolutely. whole digital art revolution, you know? Okay. So like, let's talk a little bit quickly about, you have this token in the market, you know, this yeah. is a big, it's also a big thing. That's like a, a big topic for investors as well is like how to consider tokens and like how to, you know, this the tokens right now are nowhere near where they once were, but like, what do you think is going to happen to the like just the general token economy and like what do you think needs to happen where do you think are some of the opportunities how do you think investors should consider it like tell me a little about your thoughts around token economy
4: yeah i think i mean i think it's super interesting right like you know part like we you know helped create the DAO. you know like the the rare token was launched in 2021 yeah and I think they're super powerful, right? There's this new, you know, like we have this new kind of technical primitive and people are just figuring out how to use it. So I think one of the, you know, I'm obviously biased, but one of the things I think that's really interesting, right? Like with rare and the rare protocol, I think there's two things. So like one adding utility, obviously like this is an overused word, but like, what does the thing do is important. Right. And so I think in the case of the rare protocol, having you know being able to build these curated lists is really interesting and you know we've been working with a couple partners so if you're a stake to me actually I think early next week I'm going to have like a telegram chat that's like gated by my staking pool just as like you can kind of like simple things like this go a long way and then in addition to just like utility though like more than that the the rare protocol is unique and that it does capture fees and you can start to do interesting things with those fees. And so in the case of Super Rare, the way I think about how these curated lists work is we're sort of crowdsourcing curation data. And then for contributing to that data set, you're getting rewarded for kind of like being good at what you're, you know, it's like, if you're a good curator, the market starts to reward you. And so it's like, you're contributing to this data set that's okay, valuable. I love So like, you know, people can build AI recommendation thing. You're like, all this data is free and on-chain. People can go look at it. If you're a good curator, you're then getting rewarded for contributing to this open data set. And, um, you know, so I think there's lots of interesting things to do. I think people, you know, like in in the bull market, it's like easy to do. You're like, oh, we just launched a thing and it's super successful. And I think now people are actually having to put in more you know, more time and energy into making sure that what they're doing is actually adding value to the ecosystem.
3: Okay, so so the so the DeGen in me is saying, okay, I want to I want to play around with what this whole thing's about. So I'm on I'm on app. Rare. Xyz. How? So yeah. if I want to, if I want to create a pool, how do I? Can you just walk me through? Do I search for Fiuosius or do I search for an artist that I love or like? Do I have to look for their yeah. wallet address? How does it work?
4: Yeah. So right now, um, you know, this is you know, and it's still in beta. So it'll, it'll get it'll get better. But you can go on SuperRare and go to anyone's profile and copy okay. their wallet address, and okay. then come back to app.rear.xyz, and that okay. uh, right side is where you, you just paste in the wallet address, and you can create a pool.
3: Got it. All right. Let me see here.
4: And if you, I would first paste it into the search bar just to double check and make sure someone hasn't already created it.
3: All right, no pool created. I gotta create one. All right, so I'm I'm live creating a pool, guys. I'm live I love creating... it. I love it. All right, so create. a So I type it in here. I just type share it in. your screen. I'm too, I'm too clunky to do that right now. Um, hold on. So okay, okay, connect. Got it. Um, all right. Well, let let let's while I'm doing this because I want to. Um, I do. I, de- I definitely want to experience this. I think it's such. You guys launched this in 24 24 hours ago. This is just brand yeah. new.
4: Brand new. Awesome. And then another thing you'll want to check out. So, in addition to that, like, it, you know, we're calling it like the, you know, radar, but basically, I'll drop it in the little private chat. But there's also radar.rare.xyz mm-hmm. is sort of like a, I don't know, like a block. It's like a network explorer, basically. And so, if you go, um, if you click on anyone's address, so, like, if you go to X Copy, there's a little green, like, there's a little green logo up there next to his avatar, mm-hmm. and that'll take you to kind of like a network visualization of his pool, and also just like give you some simple stats on like if he has a collection and other stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like a, a network explorer almost.
3: This is pretty awesome. Um, okay. I just did it. I'm staked. Nice. Would you say Very smooth. Um, that's really, really interesting. So now explain, sorry. So just so now I can, so I can understand this a little bit more here. So now that I'm staked, what, yeah. what exactly, what happens at, to both me and few like and I'm just using him as an example because I just staked his pool.
4: Yeah. So basically, the way it works is if there's a sale, and so it's address based. So if uh, FIWA's address makes a sale, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, the network collects a 3% fee on that sale. So the buyer is right. technically paying 103%. So it's like the list price plus a 3% network fee. That network fee was going to the Dow Treasury. And now, one percent of that fee, so you know thirty three percent of the network fee goes to whoever is staked into that pool. And so if you're the only staker and you have a hundred percent of that pool, then you know that fee is going to you.
3: Very cool. Love yeah. it. really cool. I and mean, this is what it's all about. It's about it, it's about you know the, at the at the foundational level, why why I think it's so exciting is really about two things. One, this is such a, it's such a foundational, it's leveraging a lot of the foundational principles of blockchain technology, which is like distributed rewards, distributed benefits, like incentivizing participation. But then yeah. it's also about identity and reputation. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, Frankie was saying earlier about how he, you know, is very interested in the identity space. This is a big factor in generating a digital identity for yourself. It, yeah. And like, this is a reputation score, if you will.
4: It, 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 there's reputation. I mean, it's like, I don't know if you saw the X copy visualization, but you're literally building an on-chain social graph, like as part of this. And that's something that OpenSea could tap into. Say you want to like have automatic followers in, so you're like another wallet, right? Like any other social experience could mm-hmm. read this data and start to build better UIs uh, for anybody who's signing up for their services.
3: Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Um, very cool, very cool. All right. Uh, I know we only got two minutes here, but parting my, my parting question for you, John, was not even just, you know, blockchain, not blockchain, whatever, you know, in, in, in general. As an as an angel investor, like you, you, know, obviously I know that you're, you know, you're in, you, you you've invested in a variety of companies. You've also invested in our fund. Like, what do you what do you look for? What excites you? if a, when, when deals come across your, like when you see deals as an angel investor or, you know, what kind of deals would you like to see more of? Like, what do you, what excites you right now as an angel investor?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think on the angel side of things, especially, right. It's like seeing something that's new and it's like, one is like, who's the person, right? So like, are they like actually into what they're doing, but Mm -hmm. also like, Are they, is there something unique about this product or service? Like why, why are they doing it? And what is it? So, you know, it's like, if it's another NFT marketplace or just like another stable coin, like for me personally, that's less interesting, but as somebody who has a unique insight, like recently I saw there's a new project that's using, um, ENS subdomains and they're tokenizing real domains. So, you know, drewaustin.com. And like, I think that's gonna open up a giant amount of liquidity in the regular domain name market.
3: How is it it attaching them? Do you know?
4: So I think they have, you like, it's not totally trustless. Like you kind of have to trust their name service, but they're basically like a custodian of the regular domains and then using NFTs, Got it. Got so like it. Got increased it. liquidity, which is like yeah, super simple. Yeah. You don't have to be a rocket yeah, scientist. I, but that would service have, sounds great. You know, like. I,
3: I no, like, I, I own domains. I used to buy a bunch of domains. I would have no idea where to sell them. It's like, where yeah. would you ever even go? I, I, exactly. I and it. so now there's you know,
0: cross-platform
4: liquidity, right? Like every wallet, every NFT aggregator can start to pick up these, uh, these assets and auctions yeah. if they have them. So I think it's, yeah. uh, so it's just I mean, stuff like a, that where it's a
3: yeah. really, it's actually, um, you know, there is a, there's a huge movement right now uh, going towards real world asset, like real, like, uh, sorry, tokenizing real world assets. Yeah. Huge, huge movement. We're seeing it across a lot of investment opportunities. We're even seeing real estate, um, you know, real estate, mortgages, you know, stocks, uh, you know, physical art. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of things happening, you know, travel. There's a lot of things happening in, in terms of creating liquidity and adding and 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 putting on chain uh, these these f- traditional assets that weren't on chain, even traditional equity. I mean, we're seeing a lot of different types of opportunities there. Yeah,
4: yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like, it's almost been one of the pipe dreams of like, oh, this is going to happen eventually. And I think it, that's like an area where like I'm certainly interested, and it feels like maybe it's happening now, right? I feel like there's been a couple starts and stops, but just you know the uh maybe maybe this will be the time this this next bull run so we're gonna have the tokenized real world assets i'd love hell it yeah.
3: hell yeah john you're the man you've been first for everything let's keep it rolling buddy let's keep doing it together um, um i'm super excited about what you guys got going on with the staking i'm happy i'm now the first staker of uh Fuocious. Um, yeah one minute i heard he wasn't in there the dj and me was like shit i gotta get on that <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> so I uh yeah so it's awesome um keep keep you know keep pushing the space forward man
4: absolutely yeah yeah thank you so much yeah Yeah. stoked to have
1: you on I don't know if I should end it with the wrap but I feel like once was more than enough so I think (laughs) we'll just end it there but appreciate you coming on and yeah looking forward to seeing what you guys continue to build so thanks everybody and thanks for all the listeners coming in and listening to the first episode
3: yeah, we're going to do this every Wednesday, three o'clock. We're going, to be, we're going to just bring in different types of experts across different technology sectors, categories. Just want to make everyone a little bit more kind of in the journey with us around investing um, so they can make the more, more informed decisions. And as we're going through our learning process on new categories, uh, the more every, we all can learn together, I think the better. So we're going to have some fun with the show and, uh, and kind of bring it to everybody every week.
0: John, I have a parting question for you as right. a partner and as an operator what has been whether it's been a bible or a quick resource what has been like i don't know like a north star or like any resource whether a book a movie something that has, yeah. helped, has helped you yeah so there's
4: a book called the great ceo within so i think for um any first-time founders out there it's uh you know there's a whole spectrum of you know resources yeah. that you could look at and i felt like that was uh just specific enough to give you some actual tips, but then also like broad enough where it wasn't like overly detailed, uh, kind of textbook. So, um, yeah,
0: Great. very cool. All right, John. thanks for sharing. Thanks, for thanks. Awesome.
1: Thanks, yeah. thanks, guys.
0: Take care, everyone. Later,
1: bye.